With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Canes Country Podcast. My name is Brett Finger. I'm joined by Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Henkel. Uh, gentlemen, how are we doing this week? Doing great. Doing good. Okay. Hockey's in the One air. at a time, please. Oh, sorry. Ryan, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying I'm doing good. Doing great, man. Hockey's right. in the air. Got some uh, some good football results this weekend. It's, uh, it's a fun time. It is a fun time. Training camp is well underway. We have our first week of training camp pretty much in the books. And we have lines. We have cuts. We have plenty of vaccinations uh it, the hurricanes are fully vaccinated as a team and that includes the the staff and whatnot so there's nothing to worry about there as the season gets closer and all that we've heard stories from across the league of other teams dealing with uh some issues in that department but the hurricanes are not one of them so that's great takeaways from the first week of of camp uh, well, you shouldn't read into the lines. Um, the lines have been the same each day of camp so far, but you should not read into them. Um, Why no, is Feshnikov I mean, I, I on the was, third line, Andrew? Why? Um, because Rod Brindamore hates you, the the fans, and wants you I to... you meant me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> the um, things I've heard Rod say about Brett. Oh, man. <laughs> No, I mean, look, I mean, we all we've all seen, you know, Rod kind of likes to try to, like, spread things out and have his um, scores across different lines and build some depth. I am not a fan of Svechnikov with Stalin fast. I think we've seen that um, in the past and it hasn't really worked out. I would rather see probably see Nino Niederreiter there, especially if you're trying to get Yesberry Kokaniemi going in the top six in the wing, which I think is a good call. Um, the interesting one for me is obviously the defensive pairs the Hurricanes have. Uh, if you look, if you think they're going to carry seven defensemen on opening night, the Hurricanes have four new defensemen in Jacob Slavin, or not Jacob Slavin. I'm going to talk about Jacob Slavin in a second. Ethan Bear, Ian Cole, Tony D'Angelo, and Brendan Smith. Um, Obviously, that spot next to Jacob Slavin um, that Dougie Hamilton has occupied for the last three, yeah, three, three. years is up for grabs. Um, there's a few different ways they could go with that. They could have, um, and obviously it's only been a few days of camp, so they can look at different stuff. They could reunite Slavin and Pesci. I can't see Brendan Moore spending much camp time on that because I think he knows that if they get into the season and the pairs aren't working out that he can always just it's go a proven to that. commodity. Yeah. And that's, which is kind of part of the gist of what he says about like not flipping out about the lines in camp. Like he knows he can put Svechnikov, Aho and Teravine in together and he knows what he's going to get. Like he does not need to spend camp reps on that. Um, I mean, you could, you could put Tony D'Angelo with Slavin, um, obviously, you kind of have your balance there in terms of a 
defensive guy and offensive guy. Uh, however, if you think that Dougie Hamilton had defensive issues, I have some bad news for you about Tony D'Angelo. Um, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea. The matchups that Slavin's going to go up against uh, is not something I would want to expose uh, D'Angelo to. Not quite. The, what they have done so far, and that I think is the most interesting and probably gives the Hurricanes defensive core the highest ceiling, is play Ethan Bear with Slavin. I think Ethan Bear is somebody who has a lot of potential. Uh, things didn't go great for him at Edmonton last year. He had some injuries and stuff. But the year before in Edmonton, he was really good. I think he's a guy who's got some offensive upside. He can skate. He can move the puck. He can defend well. I know. I think that that's a move that a lot of Oilers fans were upset about and wish that he'd gotten more opportunity there. Um I'm really interested to see what Ethan Bear can do for the Hurricanes and what he can do playing with Jacob Slavin. He's obviously not going to come in here and be Dougie Hamilton, but I think he can offer a lot of upside in that spot. I think that pairing is going to be really, really good. I yeah. I, I really like the Bear addition from, from the jump. Uh, he's young. He has tons of upside. Even last year, I mean, it's questionable how Edmonton kind of handled him and used him and stuff. But even last year, I mean, a very noticeable step forward in his game from year one. So, yeah, I, I think that's going to end up being pretty good. And I I think he's going to pair really well with Slavin. Yeah, I think Barry is going to be probably the most interesting player to kind of follow, you know, at least early into the season. Because if he does, you know, do well, meshes, he like he's could he's like a future you know defenseman for the Canes like he'd be another four to five year deal defenseman like you know Bear has a super amount of potential and the Canes are kind of missing they have like a really big stopgap right now with their defensive prospects they don't have like a ton of guys who are really ready for like a top four role and if they can get if Bear clicks like that like solves a lot of their issues. Looking elsewhere, yes, Barry Cock and Niemi has been playing with Teravainen and Trocheck. Obviously that will change as as camp goes on the season gets closer and goes uh, goes on so yes very cockney he is here he is number 82 which is uh which is cool you know I, 82 is a good I, I think 82 is a good number he's here he's got it it's a cool number he uh i've noticed seeing him at camp he bears a striking resemblance to andre nestrashill i think wow wow so <laughs> you know, make of that what you will. Um, <laughs> no, I mean that. So that line is. It's fair to say Kokanemi is the poor man's Andre Nestorshill. Hey man, Andre Nestorshill before he had that injury was looking like the Hurricanes might have had something there. If if he's anything like Nestorshill, uh, things won't end well here. <laughs> well, let's hope they do. <laughs> yes, um, slightly higher line? upside perhaps on Kokanemi. That line is interesting. I, I like Kakanyemi with Trocek. I, you figure it's probably going to end up being Natchez with them because, like, have we seen Teravainen and Trocek, like, at all, really? No. It, only power oh, player. Teravainen missing so much time. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, that's like an, I mean, you, you figure, like, I mean, like, Kakanyemi and Trocek are both kind of 
Well, I guess Kakanyemi is more of a playmaker, but Trocek is a goal scorer, and you put Teravine in with a guy like that. But I like Kokaniemi playing on the wing with one of the Hurricanes' top two centers. Again, prob- probably Trocek, but I think you have to, given the investment that you made in him and what you you know are kind of saying you think you can be, you have to put him in the best position possible to succeed. And I like putting him on in that spot a lot. Yeah, just like I think also you paired like Tara Vinen and Kokaniemi together and you have two like really, really strong defensive wingers. So it's like, you know, yeah. you know you have Jordan Stahl and Jesper Fast to like shut down people, but you get a line of Kokaniemi and Tara Vinen, you're gonna terrorize a lot of opponents and control a lot more, you know, puck battles and possession of play. Yeah, it's kind of funny thinking about like uh Kakanyemi and Teravinen combined because both are I mean Teravinen's like elite elite top tier possession player and in Kakanyemi last year I mean he was really good defensively I mean outstanding on defensive zone breakouts so it's interesting it's like uh if if you have those two together how they're gonna have the puck a lot and it's just about you know getting turning that into goals because Kakanyemi is more of a playmaking forward, but the playmaking hasn't led to goals over the last two seasons. Teravine, obviously also playmaker whose playmaking does lead to goals. So it'll be interesting to see if those two stay together. Uh, I think it could be interesting. And I think it depends on who's in the middle and if it's Trocek and he has the kind of scoring touch that he had last year. I mean, that looks really interesting to me on paper. Yeah, and you know what we know is like again, <laughs> always something to emphasize. Don't buy into what you of see course. at training camp. It's training camp for a reason, and you know, I think this is just a time for Rod to you know see see if things work, see if like he can get these guys clicking or chemistry. And like, if it doesn't work, then when it's actually game time, you go back to the guys that you know play together, know each other, and everything's hunky dory. I think everything's hunky dory. I mean, it's it's September 26th. We need to talk about something. We have to talk about these lines. I don't care what Rob Brindamort says. I don't care what anybody says. We're going to talk about the five-year projection of Kakanyemi Teravainen, and we're going to do it uh, every week until the season starts. I mean, he said don't read into the lines in training camp last year, and then, like, the lines on day one of training camp, I'm pretty sure oh. the opening night lines. Now, training camp last year was, like, 10 minutes, but... <laughs> Also true. So yeah, uh, a lot of interesting things. Is there any other big takeaways that y'all have from from camp so far? You have the two new goalies, um, which is obviously going to be a big thing, and they're going to kind of need to figure out that out throughout camp. But if there's one position you really can't get much out of in a practice, it's goalie in terms of just like seeing what they are. I think the exhibition games are going to be really important there. I think something interesting is, uh, like, uh, from the prospect camps, you know, Seth Jarvis was looking really good. Like, we all know how good he is, but, like, damn, was he really showcasing at that prospect tournament. And he has to go back to junior, which is, again, everyone talks about it, but it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. He should not be in juniors. Yeah, and unfortunately, I mean, he's he's a guy who really would have needed to, like, blow the doors off in camp to have a chance at making the canes and... He's been out the first couple of days. Brendan Moore said it's nothing serious, but he tweaked something, and they're being cautious. But you figure 
missing the first couple of days of camp already kind of sets him back a little bit in terms of that trying to make the team. I don't know. I think it would be interesting if they just like kept him around for like a couple of weeks to start the season and then sent him back. I don't think he's missing much by not having two weeks in the WHL. I don't know. It would be. I think it would be interesting to kind of you know maybe get him in a game or two and then send him back and just be like, hey, this is the NHL. You can tag along with the team for a little bit, maybe learn a thing or two. Yeah, I don't know if I could see Rod Rindemore doing that, but I I also think that would be an interesting idea. The Canadian Hockey League just needs to come to some sort of agreement with the AHL. Like teams get like an exemption or something, like one player, like outstanding player exemptions, kind of like how like young play sixteen year olds can play early or something. Like you should be able to like graduate early. It's kind of crazy. Jarvis was leading the AHL in scoring yeah. at the point that they made him go back to junior last year. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have, like, a crazy year in the WHL last year, but it's like, I mean, who, care, who, who cares? Boring. I mean, he's he played in the AHL and was, like, dominant in that league, and it's like, all right, go down a level for 30 games. And it's in a weird season. It's like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if you were, like, if I was at, like, a higher level, of like my field and doing really well and then they were like nope okay go back down and i'd probably be like well this is stupid like yeah i'm not saying that jarvis did that i'm just saying like like i think him not like absolutely lighting it up in the c in the chl like boredom could be a factor but yeah i mean he should be in the ahl and he on most teams he's really knocking on the door of being in the nhl but you know, this team, especially after they got cock in the Emmy, I think that kind of settled it. You know, I think he would have had a, maybe had a shot, but not anymore. Yeah, if the Canes were a team that really liked to rush player development, like, like in Montreal or something that like just really rushed a young guy, he would have been there last yeah. year. Well, <laughs> this is it's a different regime now, but don't tell that to Elias Lindholm. Oof, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I think if they don't add Kakiniemi or any other top nine forward, this is a much more interesting conversation about Jarvis. But there's not really a spot. I mean, I wouldn't hate the idea of him playing with Svechnikov and Stahl instead of Jesper Faust. Um, although I don't think there's any way in hell that Brendan Moore is giving a rookie Stahl's matchups with Stahl. Um it, Jesper Faust is also like has some of the best defensive metrics like in the NHL like yeah. even strength defensive metrics. He is like an, a, an excellent defensive winger. He brings like a lot like a lot that kind of goes unnoticed like his forechecking puck battles. It's like just because he's not scoring goals doesn't mean like I I, I know you're saying like I've seen that take from other people like saying like third right wing is open, but like you can't just pull out like your defensive shutdown specialist to put in like a rookie. Yeah, no, and like this, there's there's not really a spot in the Hurricanes' top nine, and you're not putting Seth Jarvis on the fourth line. So it just is what it is. I mean, like next next year could be a lot more interesting for a guy like that, especially with you know guys like Trocheck and Niederreiter up for um, unrestricted free agency. So I would think there's a very good chance that next year he'll be in the NHL, but this, this year I just can't see it. Yeah, I think he's definitely going to be in the NHL next year. I think there's a very good chance of that because, 
look, you have Nino, Trocek, Natchez, Kakaniemi all need new deals. Obviously, Natchez and Kakaniemi are RFAs. They likely aren't going anywhere. At least one of Nino or Trocek isn't going to be here. I think that's safe to say at this point. Yeah. As they hit UFA. And look, they're going to have to pay a lot more money to Natchez and Kakaniemi. It's going to be at least $6.1 million, or unless they sign that like extension for $4 million or whatever that was rumored. But you're going to have to probably save a little money somewhere. Seth Jars is on ELC. That's potentially huge upside for a guy making less than a million dollars against your cap. Yeah. yeah. I'll make a, I'll make a hot take prediction. Nino need a writer walks like the Canes and him just kind of, you know, he has a good season, but the Canes just can't, you know, afford to pay five to 6 million for a long term deal. He signed somewhere like Seattle. And uh, there's that, they cut, they form like a short term extension with Trocek. And then they bring in Seth Jarvis, who wins Rookie of the Year Calder. Oh, wow. A series of really interesting predictions. All those things are going to happen. If you play, I mean, if you played with Trochik and Natchez, you probably could. Yeah, I I think no matter what kind of year he has, it's pretty much a given that Niederreiter's gone. Because if he has a bad year, okay, well, then they just don't want him back. If he has another really good year. He's pricing himself out. You shouldn't honestly pay a player like that at his age a long-term deal. The the kind of style he plays that can go badly very quick. See, uh, Rutu Tuomo. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't think he's as risky as like Rutu no. or Furland, but you still you shouldn't give him that. Niederreiter's such an interesting yeah. player because he ha- he really does have a very unique play style where he's a sniper who's like an excellent like four checker. He's an extremely aggressive net front four checker, but he's also a sniper. It's like, yeah, it's such a weird dynamic, but it's so like good. He's such like a great uniquity. But like when the shot isn't on, his value tanks by a lot, even though his his game is consistently solid and consistently like worthy of playing and paying uh when he's not scoring i mean that's a big part of his game so we saw a couple years ago when he wasn't scoring but he was still playing really well but it's like you're getting paid 5.25 million or whatever and when you're getting that kind of money you need to produce offense it's interesting but yeah nino's probably clubhouse favorite to not be back after next year it's like you just said, when you have a team like the Hurricanes who are in a competitive window, like you need spots where you can replace a guy like that with like a good cheap player on an ELC, and that's what the Hurricanes have. I think I think Trocek is gonna be really interesting. I think part of that is gonna depend on how ready they think one of Natchez or Kokaniami is to play center. That was like part of my hot take is I think I don't know I don't think Natchez or Kokaniami will be ready at like get for two C responsibilities unless like, you know, they blow me away this year with like their play. But I think like they would need another year to a Trocek. But uh, thinking back on my hot take, I think somebody's going to offer him big money long-term. Yeah. If he has a similar season, then probably top six center, Maybe. somebody will pay for that. Who's yeah. on pace to score like 30 goals. Honestly, I, th- I feel like, I feel like Kakaniemi is closer to being ready for center duties than Natchez. Cause I mean, 
he's been a center the whole time in his NHL career. Has he been a great centerman? No, he has not been as good as Natchez, <laughs> but he's played center consistently. I still don't really know what's going to happen here with Kakanyemi. Uh, I think it it could be boom or bust. I, I, maybe he's just a decent player. Maybe that's the most likely outcome. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I feel like in terms of playing center minutes, I think Kakanyemi's closer, and it just depends on how good he can be in Carolina and how they handle him. Uh, I think that will determine whether he can be at second line center. I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make like a like a stupid metaphor analogy. Kokanyemi was like a high grade clay that Montreal just tossed in the kiln, hoping that it formed into like a beautiful pot. And now the Canes have to take this like hard and love of clay and try to chisel it into the shape right. that they need it All to right. be. And if not, it'll just crumble. Are you calling Rod Burnamore a potter? I calling him a uh, actually I don't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> Say where where Oh what? Where could you go with that? Place? What's the opposite of a potter? I don't know. Uh, Harry, uh, Draco, Draco Malfoy. I'm not, I, I don't know anything about Harry Potter. <laughs> oh man, this, this yeah, flop. this, yeah, I mean, it's about the power <laughs> play. Um, <laughs> the, what about the it? other thing with. Well, the other thing I think is interesting in camp is obviously, A, with Dougie Hamilton gone, who is the primary quarterback of your number one power play, or number two power play in the league last year, and Jake Bean gone, and Jake Gardner not going to be a factor this year because he's going on long-term IR with those uh, back and hip injuries. You need two power play quarterbacks. I think their thought for the first one, and it's, it's a good thought, I mean, it's that's why they signed him. It's for Tony D'Angelo to do it. Um, two years ago with the Rangers, when he had like 53 points, I think like 19 of them came on the power play. He's proven he's capable of that. Uh, taking a little bit of a risk there, basically like with him as the most proven power play quarterback you have because he basically didn't play last year. But I think their logic there is sound. Power play quarterback too, though. There's nobody who's really done it. I think Ethan Bear will probably get the first crack there, and they'll hope that he can do it. But like, he's never he never really played much power play at Edmonton. Uh, we do not need to see Jacob Slavin on the power play. I've seen it. Don't need to do it again. Brett Pesci is an underrated offensive guy at even strength. He's not a power play guy. If Ethan Bear can't do it, it's probably Brady Shea. No, but like, please no, don't don't even say that. I don't really like that. Like, the hurt, like the second power play quarterback is like, and one option I think could be if none of the other guys work out, which like what we just talked about in terms of like D'Angelo not playing with Slavin, you really couldn't use a guy like Dougie Hamilton on like more than just the first power play unit because he played so much at even strength and on the penalty kill. Um, Tony D'Angelo is probably not going to play nearly as much at even strength as Dougie Hamilton did, nor is he, I would think, going to play at all on the penalty kill. So he, especially if he's really good at it, like he was in New York two years ago, 
he could be the kind of guy that you leave, just leave out there for like most of a power play. And that's kind of just the old, the old Alex Ovechkin treatment. Well, that's kind of what I was seeing. But like, like you get what I'm saying. Like if he plays like, yeah, a ton on the power play, like it, it's not going to be that big a deal because he's probably not going to play as much, especially if these pairings hold and he's on the third pairing with Ian Cole at even strength, then I would be shocked if he plays like more than a, like a few minutes on the entire year on the penalty kill. Or Carolina can go for the fabled five forward power play. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, I don't know. The, the thing with Ovechkin is like, he, he can stay out there for two minutes because the dude doesn't move with all due respect. He just stands in one spot. And and D'Angelo, yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how D'Angelo fits and what they do with him because he's different offensively than Hamilton. Uh, I think Hamilton's more of your traditional quarterback. And D'Angelo's a guy who, when he's been at his best, he's a rover in the offensive zone. He's a guy that moves around. And if there's one thing that we have historically had a problem with with, the, with Carolina's power play is that they don't fucking move. They stand in the same place. Yeah. Um, Especially Yes, the they are very stagnant. They're very predictable. And it'll be interesting to see how D'Angelo in, impacts that or if he's just forced to stay at the top of the zone, which I think is a, not a good thing. Um, yeah, so... And, and I... I Outside of that, I think Bear is probably the safe bet for power play too. Um, but yeah, outside of Bear, it, there isn't really another good option. Like at all. Like there's not even really like, like you wouldn't feel remotely good about any of Slavin, Shea, or Pesci playing on the power play. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe they do something like D'Angelo. <laughs> let's just say Bear is a flop at the power play. Which I don't think he would be, but let's say he is. I no, I I have I have high hopes for that, but yeah, Let, let's just say maybe D'Angelo plays like a minute and a half, and then Slavin comes in for the final thirty seconds, and for when the game goes back to five on five or something. Not ideal, but yeah, I mean they could. I mean, I think that's more ideal than playing Tony D'Angelo for two minutes because yeah, I, I just no, you're you're right, especially like you said. I mean. And they should use him to create more movement on the power play. Cause like, especially yes. once you get into the playoffs, that's been a big issue for them. And like, you got this player in Tony D'Angelo, you might as well use him to his strengths. Like, yeah. Elsewhere, uh, a hurricane legend uh, is hanging him up. A two time Stanley cup champion. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the career, he, he just, Goes to Tampa, picks up two chips, and says, all right, I'm done. Uh, Curtis McElhaney uh, announces in the most Curtis McElhaney way possible uh, his retirement just by changing his Instagram bio to retired NH former NHL goalie or whatever. I miss Curtis McElhaney. That was, that was a year. He, yeah, Curtis McElhaney, uh, really adopted the late career uh, LaShawn McCoy method of just being on championship rosters and collecting yeah. rings. But um, no, I mean, like he played and I, I feel like this doesn't get talked about often enough. 
that 2018-19 season in terms of the Hurricanes like getting back to the playoffs and making a run to the Eastern Conference Final, Curtis McElhaney, who they got on waivers at the start of the season when Scott Darling was hurt, played a huge role in that. I mean, you look at what he did in the regular season and kind of the steady goaltending he helped provide them alongside Peter Mrazek, just with how, I mean, such a calm presence on the ice. And then in the Islanders series, uh, Mrazek got hurt in game two. McElhaney finished that game and then won games three and four. So, no, I mean, he, he was only a hurricane for one year, but he... I think Curtis McElhaney played a very important part in Hurricanes history, ultimately. Shout out to Toronto for putting him on waivers. Yeah. Actually, another funny stat, like I looked at this like weeks ago, but Curtis McElhaney actually had one of the highest, uh, one of the best high danger save percentages in the entire league that regular season too. Yeah. He was good. He was very good. He was very good. All right. I have the one other and it's crazy to me thinking about bridging these two eras of him playing on that Hurricanes team. And also, I remember, I think it was a game, the last game, the um, or the last time before that that the Hurricanes made the playoffs during 2008-09. I think it was like a game they played like the Calgary Flames and he was in net. And they just shelled him. I think put up like six goals on him and um, Ray Whitney scored a hat trick. It's just, it's still funny to me to think about like two completely separate like eras, like a literally a decade apart. And that, but still like, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that, like they were getting Curtis McElhaney. Goalies, you know, a decade apart, uh, similar to uh, Frederick Anderson. Yeah. A decade later. True. He's finally here. Full circle. Full circle. And this podcast has come full circle because it's over this week. Thank you for listening to the Canes Country Podcast. A little train camp talk, little Curtis McElhinney talk, etc. cetera. Uh, we will be hopefully talking about even more uh, interesting things in the coming weeks as the season is literally just a couple weeks away. Andrew Schnicker, Ryan Henkel. Uh, where can the people follow you on Twitter and only Twitter? You can follow me at A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. You can follow me at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can follow me on Twitter at Brett Finger. You can follow Canes Country at Canes Country. Instagram, Canes Country Picks, P-I-X. Go read the site. We have tons of content going up as the season gets closer and we preview things and uh, wrap up training camp and all that subscribe to slash follow the Canes country podcast where you listen to podcasts google podcasts apple podcasts spotify stitcher wherever you listen to podcasts you can listen to the Canes country podcast and we will be back next week to talk about more training camp developments who knows maybe something big will happen in the next week you know that's what training camp's known for right big huge news right Typically don't want huge news out of training camp because that typically means one thing. Goodbye.